turn back over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we started in Acts chapter 20 last week, and I'm going to start going a little bit faster now because we've got to finish up the book of Acts by the end of spring as we go into summer because when we come back in the fall, we'll go into the book of Revelation. We'll go back to that and teach through the whole book of Revelation. So we're going to speed up a little bit, but I do want to touch one more thing here in Acts chapter 20, and then we'll move on to Acts chapter 21. And so what's happening here, if you weren't here last week or don't remember, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is basically at the end of his third missionary journey. And so primarily, most of the middle part of the book of Acts are Paul's missionary journeys. And he takes three of them. And every time the church of Antioch and Syria, they send him out. And they send him out with the gospel. Just simply to do what we saw the whole theme, really, of the book of Acts is about. Acts 1.8. He goes out. And he is a witness for Christ Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he tells about him everywhere. He's his witness about him everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Paul is the one taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so these missionary journeys, that's what it is. And so on this third missionary journey, basically where Paul goes is he kind of goes to what we would know. It's Asia Minor in the Bible, but what we would know is primarily Greece and Turkey today. And so that's where he goes. And so the majority of this time on this third missionary journey, he is in the city of Ephesus. And so for almost three years, he is in Ephesus and he is building the church. He's starting the church. And then God is just doing miraculous things. And we saw a great revival that happened in Ephesus. So God just brought many, many people to the Lord in a dark, 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 dark city, demon-possessed city, evil city. God brought many people to the Lord and a great church was born. It was born. And this church does tons of things in Paul's day and even after Paul's day. And it had several prominent pastors like Paul, like the Apostle John, like Timothy later. So this was a very prominent church in the Bible. And so Paul started that church. He stayed there for about three years and preached to them, led them, and God did amazing things. And then he left. And what he was kind of doing was going back to the other churches he started And rather than going back to Ephesus because he knew he wouldn't be able to get away from them, basically, he called the elders of the church of Ephesus to him, to a city about 30 miles south of Ephesus. He said, hey, will you come to me because I need to tell you something. And so what we're reading about today is what Paul is telling them. And the reason Paul was in such a hurry is because he's trying to make his way to Jerusalem. He feels called to go to Jerusalem, and he's trying to get there before Pentecost, The festival of Pentecost is coming, and he's trying to get there. And so rather than going to Ephesus and knowing that he will never get away from Ephesus and all the people we'd have to see and all the people we'd have to talk to, the elders come to him. And so that's kind of where we are. And we're just going to read this first, and then I will talk about it. But if you have your Bible, look at verse 20, and we're going to start reading in verse 25. Acts 20, verse 25. And this is what Paul says to these elders Bishops, overseers, pastors, it's a group of them all. That's what they are. This is what he says. He says, And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Okay, let's stop right there for just a second. Okay, so these are Paul's last words he's ever going to say to these guys who he has not only ministered to in his time to Ephesus, he has ministered with. 
These are the men that have led the church of Ephesus along with the Apostle Paul. And so for three years of his life, he has been with them. He has worked beside them. And now he is telling them, I'm not going to ever see you again. Now, does this remind you of something else? As we read the end of Mark and as we get closer and closer to Easter, does it remind you of anyone else? Well, I hope to God it does. I hope you know this. Okay, but how long did Jesus spend with the disciples? Roughly three years, probably a little over three years. The disciples were with him all the time. They were ministering with him. They were learning, being discipled by them. And as we read through the end of Mark, if you're reading our Bible, reading with us, and as we've been talking about in Matthew on Sunday mornings, the end of Matthew, what are we reading about? We're reading Jesus' final words to these disciples before the cross. He is not going to see them again before he dies. And so he's telling them some pretty important things. Are last words important? I mean, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow and you needed to tell your spouse or your family or someone you cared about something very important, would that be important to you? Well, of course it would. It's going to be the last thing you get to say. So what are you going to say? Probably what's important, very important, right? Not just meaningless garbage. You're going to tell them what really matters, correct? Well, God, I hope you are, okay? Please do that. If you know you're about to die, do it. I remember just a couple years ago when my mom was literally on her deathbed and right when we kind of called hospice in, one of the things she wanted to do is she wanted to sit down with me and my sister by ourselves so she could tell us what she needed to tell us and what was most important to her. I'll never forget that conversation ever in my life. Okay, last words are important. I'm just telling you, if you don't know it, Maybe start thinking about it, okay? They're important. And so the Apostle Paul, I mean, he really doesn't know what's going to happen to him. If you, We're going to read about it in Acts 21 and the rest of the book of Acts. But he's pretty sure it ain't going to be good. Now, how does he know it's not going to be good? Well, has it been good up to this point? I mean, what's happened to him up to this point? Well, he's been stoned to death, number one. He's been thrown in jail multiple times. He's been beaten with sticks and rods. I mean, everywhere he goes, what happens? A riot. Everywhere he goes. Every city he starts a church in, a riot happens every single time. Now, revival doesn't always happen, but a riot always happens. Every time. So he's pretty sure that he can only do this so long. So these are his last words. So this is important. I just want you to catch that. This is important. So look at what he says next, verse 26. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. Why? For I didn't shrink away from declaring all God wants you to know. Let's keep reading verse 28. So guard yourselves and guard God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from 
Your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care over you night and day and the many tears that I shed for you. Okay, so this is Paul's last words or his last speech, whatever you want to say about. But this is what he's telling the elders, the leaders of the church of Ephesus of what is so important. So let's just look at them because it's important not just for the church of Ephesus. This is important for the church of God. Any church on this earth that is purchased by the blood of Christ Jesus, this is important. So what does Paul tell us is most important? Well, he says this, I did not shrink back from declaring all God wants you to know. So what does that mean? It just simply means that Paul told them the whole counsel of what God said. Everything that God said, Paul told the church of Ephesus. He didn't pick and choose what he liked or what they wanted to hear. He preached the whole counsel of Scripture. Okay, he didn't. Try to just please the people. He tried to please God. Okay, now think about this. Because at this point in Paul's life and at his time while he was in Ephesus, he didn't have the whole Bible as we have it. I mean, what did he have? Well, he had the Old Testament, right? He had Genesis through Malachi. He had that. I mean, did he have the teachings of Christ? Of course he had it. Now, it might not have been written down, but how did they pass down the teachings of Christ? It's oral. They told the story over and over and over again. And if you go back and read the Old Testament and Jewish tradition, God instituted that very early on. Why? So that we would pass down from generation to generation to generation who He is and what He's done. The Jews were very good at this because God trained them to do this. Go read the Old Testament. So he had the teachings of Jesus. He had the parables of Jesus. He had the stories of Jesus and all the things that Jesus did. He had that. He had the Old Testament. But at this point in his ministry, he had some letters too. How do you know? Because he wrote them. Okay, Paul writes pretty much half of the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament. And by this point, he had already written some of those letters. And so I'm sure he shared with the church of Ephesus what he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. You think? Well, I think he did. Okay, so he was sharing some of the things that he had already written to other churches. Why? Because the church in Ephesus was dealing with some of the same issues that other churches were dealing with. Why? Because every church deals with them. Every church has issues. Have you found a perfect church yet? Anybody? Okay, if you find it, don't join it. You'll screw it up. That's an old one, but it's true, right? I mean, you'll mess it up if you join it. You ain't going to find a perfect church because no church is perfect because who makes up the church? A bunch of imperfect people, a bunch of sinners. So there is no perfect church. So Paul was always correcting and he always teaching all of God's Word, the whole counsel of Scripture. And so I want you to look at this because this is important because he writes it back to the church of Ephesus. But look at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul basically says what the whole point of these guys is, the elders that he's talking to. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Ephesus. He says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. They are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, 
and the teachers. Verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up full and complete to the standard of Christ. So what is my job as a pastor, as a teacher, as an elder, overseer, however you want to look at me, bishop, whatever you want to call me and whatever denomination looks at it, what is my job as your pastor? To equip you to do what? Okay, what is the work of the ministry? He tells you right there, to build up the church, right? Does that know what he says? Now, whose responsibility is this? Is this my responsibility to build the church? No, I'm to equip who to do it? Ooh, you might want to listen to that one. Okay, let's read it again. Because we get this one all backwards in the church. So leaders, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. My job is to not to build the church and build up the body of Christ. My job is to equip you to do that. And how do I do that? By preaching the whole counsel of Scripture. That's how I do it. What else am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to equip you to do the work, but I'm also to mature you, disciple you, because what are you to be mature in? Go on down, look there. Look at verse 13. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Now, what does it mean to be mature in the Lord? That's just discipleship, right? That is just understanding who you are in Christ Jesus. And it is understanding what He has called you to do and placed you on this earth to do, which is what? Build up the church. And when you mature in that, and when you grow in that, that's what we call discipleship. It's just growth, Christian growth. So I'm to equip you. I'm to mature you. And then here's something else that this is impossible, but I'm called to do it. You're called, and I'm called, so that you can mature, so that you can measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Okay, that's sanctification. That's you becoming more like Christ Jesus. Now, I can't sanctify you. Who sanctifies you? The Holy Spirit of God. But do I play a part in that? Yes, if I do what God's Word calls me to do. Now, what does God's Word call me to do? Well, I'm called to equip you so that you can do the work, His work, which is to build up the church. How do I do it? Well, we read this way back now in Acts chapter 6. But what am I to devote myself to? The ministry of prayer and ministry of the Word. So how does God work through me to you? Prayer and the Word. And then through the prayers, 
that I pray and our staff prays and the elders, leaders, however you want to look at them, and through the teaching of His Word, what happens? You're equipped, you grow in maturity, and you're sanctified. That's what happens. So here's a good question. If you're part of a church that doesn't preach the Word of God, if you're part of a church that doesn't pray like God's Word calls you to pray, what happens to the members of that church? They don't measure up. They're not equipped to do the work. And sanctification ain't happening. So do you think what Paul's last words to the church in Ephesus, do you think they're important? I'm telling you, they're important. They're very important. And it would be a lot easier for me to stand up on Sunday mornings and to tell you what you want to hear rather than what God wants you to hear. I'd get a whole lot more pats on the back. And I'd get a whole lot more of a, boy, I like that sermon. But do you know what one day I'm going to have to do? According to the book of James, in James 3.1, I'm going to have to stand before God. And you know what I'm going to be judged on that you're not? What I said and what I preached and how I did it. And do you think if I pick and choose what's easy and don't tell you what you need to hear, do you not think I'm going to give an account for that? Well, you better believe I'm going to have an account for that. And so you know what I really don't care about? I really don't care what you think. I'm sorry, I don't care what you think about what I preach. I care about what God thinks. And I hope you do too. And I am very thankful for a church that allows me to preach the whole counsel of Scripture because there are churches that won't. And if a pastor comes in and does it and they don't like it, do you know what they do to the pastor? They get rid of him real quickly. And there's a lot of churches like that. There's a lot of Southern Baptist churches like that. And you know what? Sometimes it goes both ways. You ever thought about this? There are a whole lot of churches, probably more than not, in our society that will definitely lean very heavily on the side of the love of God and on the side of forgiveness and on the side of grace and on the side of mercy. And they'll talk about that every week of the year. They don't like the judgment side and the repentance side and the holiness side and the judgment side and the wrath side. But there are some churches that lean heavily on that and don't go to the other way. And they'll say stuff like this, well, boy, you ain't been to church unless you got your toes stepped on. Well, you ain't been to church unless you got beat up a little bit. I've had people tell me that. And so they lean too far on this side. Well, is that healthy? Well, no, that's not healthy. But in turn, is it healthy to only talk about the love of God and grace of God and mercy of God and never understand what's going to happen to you if you don't listen to what His Word says? I mean, hell's still in the Bible. Okay, it's like this. If I have my choice of sitting down to a meal and placed before me is a bowl of ice cream or a bowl of Brussels sprouts, which one do you think I'm going to pick? I, I hate Brussels sprouts. And y'all do too. 
and you're lying. If you say you don't, you're lying because this is what you do to Brussels sprouts. You put butter on it and you put garlic on it and you put oil on it and cheese on it, something to make it edible. That's the only way you can bear that junk. But what are you going to eat? You're going to eat Brussels sprouts or ice cream. Of course you're going to pick ice cream, right? But what would happen to you if you ate ice cream every meal of your life, every day of your life? Well, number one, you ain't going to fit through that door. But number two, is that healthy for you? No, it's not healthy for you. But there's a lot of churches, that's what they do. And so it takes the whole counsel of God's Word to accomplish His work. And so that's why I don't want to shy away from preaching the whole counsel of Scripture. Okay? So if you needed a reason for why I do what I do, that's the reason. It's God's Word. Okay? It's God's Word. But you play a part in that. Because you have to receive it. So Paul says there, I don't have to shrink back. Because this is what I did. I declared all God wants you to know. But he goes on. He has something very important to keep telling them. So look there in verse 28. This is what he says in verse 28. He says, So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. Okay. That word there, so guard yourself. Guard your flock. I don't know what version you have, but it might say to take heed. But literally, what the Greek word just means there is to pay attention to. Pay attention to this. This is important, guys. And so who does he start with there as he's talking to the leaders, the elders of the church? Does he start with the body? Does he start with the flock, the church? No. He starts with those men sitting right before him, right? He says, so guard yourselves and then guard God's people. Now, why do you think he tells these leaders, these elders, you better watch out, you better take heed, you better guard yourself? Why does he tell these leaders that? Okay, well, just think about it. Who do you think Satan would love to take out first? Who do you think would affect more people and would affect the work of God in a bigger way? If you can take out a leader or if you can just take out a member. Okay, that's why he says this. And if you go on to read some of the Apostle Paul's preaching and teaching, he gives some pretty specific and pretty direct qualifications to be a leader, to be an elder, to be a pastor. What are they? Well, you got to be a man of one wife. You can't drink too much. You can't be an alcoholic, basically. You've got to be able to manage your home, your household. You've got to be able to raise your kids, your family. Okay, there's a lot of qualifications to be a leader, to be an elder. And so what happens to a leader? What happens to a pastor, an elder, whatever you want to call it, if he doesn't guard himself? He's going to be disqualified from ministry if he doesn't protect himself. He's just going to be. 
And so maybe this is better in a different setting. Maybe this is a pastor's conference material. But if a pastor, if a minister does not guard his own heart and guard his own life, he's going to be disqualified from ministry. And I'm just telling you, a lot of churches make this impossible for pastors to do. Because they expect a pastor to be all things to all people. And they expect him to be everywhere at once. Well, number one, we're not omniscient and we're not omnipresent, right? So you can't do that. But when you expect your pastor to be all things to all people, he's going to fail every single time. Because guess who can only do that? Jesus is it. He's the only one. Okay, and so what happens when a church does that to a pastor and they're always requiring him to do all these unhealthy things and he's always pouring out and he's always ministering to and no one ever ministers to him, guess what happens? Well, I mean, it's like, the Old Testament's pretty clear on this. It's like a dry cistern. It's like a dry well. I mean, you can only give so much water without putting something back in, right? It's just reality. And so this is hard. I'm just telling you, for, and I mean, this is hard for me. I'll be honest. This is very hard for me, not because the church requires this of me here, and I'm thankful for that. But this is something I put on myself because it's probably a pride thing, but it's also kind of a work ethic thing, just the way I was raised. I mean, I've always got to be doing something. And I've always got to be working. That's just the way I, my mindset is. Well, if I'm not real careful, I will get really, really dry, really, really quick because you can only pour out so much without pouring back in. And it is hard to pour back in because you've got to stop and you've got to take time to do it. It's just not easy for me. I hate not doing something. And for whatever reason, that's just for me, not in my mind anyway, doing something. I could be doing something else more important because I could be working, I could be ministering, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. But if that's the expectation of the church or that's the expectation of the person who's the minister or the leader, you're going to fall flat on your face really, really quick. And your priorities are going to get out of whack. And you're going to disqualify yourself from ministry, basically, is what's going to happen. And so Paul starts with that group of leaders. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. Then... He goes next, and he says, Then guard God's people. And basically what we're to do as pastors, as elders, as leaders, we're to shepherd God's flock, feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His blood. Okay, now we talked about this a little bit, but as a shepherd, a pastor, that's what the word just literally means in Greek. I'm to shepherd you. I am to lead you. I am to feed you. Paul says it specifically right there. And what am I to feed you? Ice cream and Brussels sprouts, right? I'm to feed you the Word of God, the whole, all of it. That's what I feed you because how do you guard yourself? What standard do you use? God's Word. That's how you guard yourself. The whole counsel of Scripture. So I lead you. I feed you. But what else do I do as a shepherd? 
protect. That's what a shepherd does. Sheep cannot protect themselves. So a shepherd, a leader, protects them. And by the way, look at this because this is important. We don't talk about this a lot. But who appointed these guys as leaders of the church of Ephesus? Did they have a church-wide vote about it? No. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. Okay, now Southern Baptists would be really good to understand this verse. Because a pastor search committee or deacons or a personnel committee or even the whole church is not the one that appointed a pastor a pastor. Who appointed the pastor a pastor? Well, if it's biblical, it's the Holy Spirit of God. So be real careful there. Because a lot of churches aren't. And they run guys out of town as quick as they come. And who are they messing with? The Spirit of God's who they're messing with. So be very careful. But why do we guard ourselves? Well, he goes on, verse 29. He says that I know false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. So Paul knows this because it's happened his whole ministry. As soon as he leaves the church of Ephesus, if the elders of the church who are leading it now, if they're not on guard and they're not watching out, they're not guarding their own heart, then people from outside are going to come in. And what are they going to do? Let me just look at the picture here, the word picture. They come in like what? Vicious wolves. And what does a vicious wolf do to sheep? They eat them, buddy. Have you ever watched some of those nature shows on TV? Is that a pretty picture? I mean, go turn on Natural Geographic. I mean, watch a lion pounce. I mean, it is a hard thing to watch. And that's the word picture here the Bible says for people who come in from outside and who try to take off and pick off sheep out of the flock. They devour them. They eat them. They kill them. And how do they do it? Through false teaching. And so they might use part of the Bible. They might add a little bit to it or subtract a little bit from it. What do you think a cult is? Is that not what a cult is? That's what a cult is. Has this happened to Paul in the past? Well, we spent a long time on this. And it even went to a council in Jerusalem. But some guys came in and they said, well, what Paul teaches is great, but you've got to obey the Jewish law too. They were Judaizers. And they followed Paul, his whole ministry. They wanted to add to what he taught. And so they said, well, yeah, you've got to do that, but you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow the law, you've got to be kosher, blah, 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 on and on and on. They still wanted to impugn or impute Judaistic practices on the church. Were they false teachers? Were they wolves? Yes, because were they going to take away from what God truly said in His Word? Yes, but did they use God's Word to do it? Yes, they did. So do you think someone's going to come in here and just start talking about witchcraft and you're going to follow them? Probably not, so how are they going to do it? Well, they're going to use God's Word and then they're going to slip little things in that you might not recognize. And they're just going to Spray it around a little bit at a time. But before long, what's going to happen? There's going to be some that start believing what they say rather than what God's Word says. Well, it is part of God's Word. Well, yeah, partially. 
But that's what was happening. And is that happening to the church in America today? Well, good Lord, just pay attention. Of course it's happening. But what's worse than this, keep reading. Not only are people going to come from the outside, look at verse 30. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. So there are going to be people in the church that are going to do this. And what's their whole purpose? They want people to follow them rather than Christ. Did you catch that? They will do this in order to draw a following. They want to be Jesus, basically. And they want to be the one to be followed. Rather than the church following Jesus Christ, the one who shed His blood for His bride. Now, does this happen? Woo, buddy, does this happen. And this happens all around us, and sometimes it happens with theological debates. And you have people that lead people astray within a church. And I could tell you story after story after story of churches splitting because someone in the church rises up and thinks he's smarter than everybody else and he needs to be the one to tell the church what they ought to believe because he has more knowledge and wisdom. Well, even if he is smarter than everyone else and even if he does have more knowledge and wisdom, do you think God called him to split a church? I doubt it. If you read God's Word, doubt that one very seriously. But inevitably, what do they do? Because of their pride, they split a church. And I want to be real careful with that. Real careful with that. And I could give you example after example after example after example. But we are to always be on guard. Why? Because you know my heart, I believe we're living in the last days. And later, Paul writes to a young man who is about to pastor a church. And guess what church he's about to pastor? Ephesus. And this is what Paul says to him, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4. He says, Timothy, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after lies. Okay. Do we have churches? Do we have people all around us this is not reality for? Well, you better believe it. Why do you think we have so much church hopping today? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered why we have so many members going from this church to that church to this church? I understand there can be problems in churches, and I understand there can be very legitimate reasons for moving a church. But I'm telling you, for a lot of people, it's because they don't want to hear hard, difficult things. And they'll go somewhere that says things they like hearing. And they will chase after it. What do you think church hopping is? Going from this church to that church to this church to that church over and over and over and over again in the same community. They're chasing after something. Do you think they're chasing after Christ? They might be, 
But they might be chasing after something else, what they want to hear that sounds good to them. And that happened 2,000 years ago, and it happens today. And so Paul says there's one way that you guard yourself. There's one way you protect your flock. And what is it? You don't shrink back from God's word. You don't shrink back from it. Because do you know what happens when you do? I'll tell you what happens when you do. Last fall, I think it was fall, I don't remember the exact time of year, but sometime last fall, Andy Stanley, which most of you would know Charles Stanley, Dr. Charles Stanley, pastor of First Baptist Church of Atlanta forever. His son, Andy Stanley, is also a pastor, and he's the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, in Atlanta, North Point Church. So they have tons of satellite campuses all over Atlanta and then other places in the country where he'll just satellite in and preach in on a screen, basically. But last fall, they held a conference, biblical conference, and it was entitled Unconditional. And basically what it was, it was a gay-affirming conference, and it was for parents of gay children, basically. So Andy Stanley spoke at it, and he also had two men who were married speak at it, who were Christians. Okay, how does that happen? Let me tell you how it happens. Go follow some of the things Andy Stanley has said over the last five years about God's Word. About five years ago, he started, and he does tons of pastors' conferences and leadership conferences. He started telling young pastors, hey guys, don't use the Old Testament. Don't use the Old Testament. Because people need to know what Jesus says. They need to know the New Testament. And they need to know about the cross and the resurrection. And in and of itself, does that not sound good? Of course it does. They need to know about Jesus and the resurrection. They need to know about Christ. Was that the whole council of Scripture? Is that what Paul says in Acts 20? No. Well, over the last year, two years probably, Dr. Stanley's basically started saying, don't use the Bible. Don't use the Bible. Just use Jesus and the stories of Jesus and talk about the power of the resurrection. And he'll say things like this, well, the Bible can be disproved or it can be proved as contradictory or science and the Bible, they conflict, blah, 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 on and on and on. And I'm not making this up. Go study it for yourself. So how do you get to the point where you have a gay-affirming conference in your church? When you take the Bible and put it aside or put it to the back burner or take it away altogether. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you're on a slippery slope. And you're going to get places you don't want to go really, really quick. Really quick. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, your blood's not on my hands because I did what I was called to do. I preached 
all of God's Word to you. All of it. And I didn't shrink back. I didn't shrink back. Oh, what would happen if every pastor in America would live their life off that truth? Boy, some things would change. Churches would get smaller, number one, but that ain't a bad thing. But some things would change. And so if you've ever wanted a reason why I have such a high view of Scripture, that's the reason. And that's why I'll preach the whole counsel of God and not shrink back. And I'll preach about hell just as much as I'll preach about heaven. So I'm telling you, that's what we got to train our kids to do. And I'm afraid we're not. And this world is turning really quick, and the world you grew up in is gone, and it's long gone. And the church in America is about to understand that word picture. His wolves come in and start devouring sheep. Because persecution's coming, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. Doesn't matter, it's coming. You know how persecution starts? It always starts this way. It starts with opposition. It never starts with persecution. It always starts with opposition. You think the church in America is opposed right now in what we say and what we believe? Oh, my Lord. Even in the laws that we're making now. That's how it starts. But then it don't stop there. Persecution always follows. So how do you stand in persecution? You stand on God's Word. You stand on what He said. Because He said it, not me. And so if you don't like what I say on Sunday morning, you might want to go read your Bible before you come talk to me about it. Because God's the one that said it. I'm just a voice repeating it. That's all I've been called to do. So let's make sure at our church we never waver from this book. And if I do, call me on it. Hold me accountable. I'm giving you permission right now. Do it. Because we must stand on this word. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord. Thank you.